0: Everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how are
1: you doing? Doing absolutely fantastic and super excited about this podcast. I feel like it's super timely.
0: Yeah, we brought on Taylor Monahan of My Crypto. Taylor has been at the forefront of just figuring out how to absorb a whole wave of crypto newbies into crypto. Uh, My crypto was at the spawned at the peak of the mania in 2018, and companies like My Crypto, which is just a, a front-facing UI for people to access their wallet, is really a lot the first step for a lot of people to arrive to when they are coming into the crypto world. So Taylor shares her experiences onboarding newbies into crypto, but also ta- and shares a lot about like security concerns and wallet management and uh, DeFi transparency when it comes to uh, risks and things of this nature. I I can really resonate with her as, as somebody that manages the intercom feature with Realty. So when you come to the Realty website, like my little face pops up and says, hey, how can I help you? People come to Realty to get customer support for things that are not Realty related. Like how do I add a token in this wallet? Managing customer support requests is a formidable task. Taylor and my crypto is at the forefront of it. So really interesting perspective, really awesome to get her on here. But first, Christian's going to tell you
1: about some of our advertisers. Let's talk about eToro for the 50th time. You guys, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this company. They have supported us and they've been supporting Bitcoin for the past, us for the past six months, but they've been supporting Bitcoin since 2016, yo. So what, that's four years. That's a long time at being in Bitcoin. eToro, they've been building the best Bitcoin exchange infrastructure for global usage for a very long time. And earlier in 2019, they brought their fully regulated, compliant exchange infrastructure to the United States. And they have a bunch of cool features. First and foremost, the most important thing is stacking SAT and taking your money off the exchange into your own custody. That is the number one feature, and they check off that box. But going down the list of other amazing features, You can copy any trader's activity, just put your money on them and any trade they do, you can automatically get exposure to it. You can invest in a portfolio. You can even trade fake money and not have any reliability and test out all your crazy assumptions. So with your real money, you stack stats like a smart person. And with your fake money, you can test out all your crazy lines and charts, you know, without any real consequences. eToro, Check them out and get a free Bitcoin 2020 ticket when you go to bitcoin2020conference.com backslash etoro. You just got to make a $100 Bitcoin purchase and you will get a $400 Bitcoin 2020 ticket. So you are up $100 in Bitcoin and a Bitcoin 2020 ticket. It's a fantastic deal. Check it out. Next up is Unchained Capital. Like I said, Unchained is one of my favorite companies in the space. I use their vault product almost every single day because I stack stats every single day and put it into the Unchained Vault. You guys, multi-sig is extremely important, especially in Bitcoin. And Unchained makes it easier than ever for you to have a strong multi-sig setup at home with your own custody with their Vault product. You can use Trezor. You can use Ledger. They're building open source tools so that way you never have to trust them. And then guess what? When Bitcoin goes to the moon and you want to leverage some of those gains, you don't have to sell. You can just go back to Unchained Capital and they never rehypothecate your Bitcoin. You can use your Bitcoin as collateral. They're going to store it in a multi-sig that you hold a key in and you can go and leverage your Bitcoin at fantastic rates and get liquidity on your Bitcoin without having to sell. Unchained Capital, a fantastic Bitcoin first financial institution. I'm friends with the team. Love the product. Happy customers. Check them out at unchained capital.com.
0: And without further ado, Taylor Monahan of My Crypto.
1: All right, everyone. Super excited to have Taylor Monahan on the podcast. Taylor, I've been following you on Twitter and been following My Crypto pretty much since I got into crypto in 2017. It's cool to have you on the show. Excited for the topic that we have lined up today.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I am super stoked to talk about this crazy DeFi space right now.
1: I mean, I feel like we do a good job of reaching across the aisle. Uh, David's brought in some really good Bitcoiners onto the show. But you had this tweet in particular kind of like asking about, you know, if you had a thousand ETH, how would you uh, best take advantage of DeFi in the most safe way? To maximize your returns. And the responses were interesting. And I think, you know, there's some some good insights there. Uh, I think some of them were saying you should be a little bit more conservative, which I think is one of the reasons why, you know, I thought it was interesting that you were preaching conservatism amongst uh, the DeFi fans. So I thought that that was uh, an interesting take, too. But yeah, I guess, Taylor, let's just start with like, you know, what's your what's your, uh, your what do you do at MyCrypto, and kind of like what's your high-level story about crypto?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a good place to start actually, because MyCrypto is a is a wallet interface thing, which you know means all sorts of things in this space. But essentially, you can use our product and you can send your ETH and your tokens, you can view your balances, um, and you can do some fancier things like interact with smart contracts and the ENS. And we have a new beta site up right now, which kind of. Overhauls the entire experience so you have this dashboard. And this dashboard is basically you can like add multiple accounts, you can then view the balances across all of your accounts. DeFi is going to be probably, is probably going to take over this dashboard if we keep going uh, in the direction that we're going because realistically with crypto up until this point you can hold it and you can trade it and that's about it and now you have all these defi platforms hedge your bets and oh god it's getting there's so many so many different things you can do and so we're going to integrate pretty conservatively i would say the different defi options that people have and kind of moving even further backwards you know when i was first building you know it was like we lived through the dow we lived through the parody multi-sig hacks i was pretty involved with you know kind of the the cleanup efforts from both of those and then obviously ico madness in 2017 was a huge influence on my my crypto upbringing and this is sort of the where i learned that people really are self-destructive at times and they will literally just like sprint, just go. And they don't know where they're going. They don't know why they're going there, but they have some idea in their head that there's free money over there. So I'm just going to run. And we saw a lot of loss due to like everything from phishing to scams, like Twitter giveaway messages, Slack DMs, and then obviously just a huge amount of capital going to these, you know, unverified projects. Some of them being downright, you know, scams, right, just, like, fake team pages, fake everything, but also, you know, people that were probably kind of well-intentioned that, you know, didn't have the skills necessary to do their thing that they promised in their white paper, and so over the past, I would say, month or so, basically, yeah, since 2020 started, I've been getting this feeling that DeFi is getting pretty hyped, (laughs) And I'm starting to recall some of the feelings that I first felt, you know, before ICOs really took off. And this is where uh, that tweet stemmed from. This is like a market research, product research, let's see where people sit right now type tweet. And I would say the responses were very enlightening.
0: So let's go into some of those uh, those responses. What do you think were the most uh, the best answers that you got from this tweet? And, and also, at the same time, if you could also actually read out the tweet so our listeners know what we're talking about. Um, so yeah, what were the, the best and, and also some of the worst answers you got?
2: Yeah. So the tweet, like my tweet was, what's the best place to put my ETH to get some return with low overhead? I have 1,000 ETH. I want to set it and forget it. Some returns on it in six months, but I at least want my 1,000 ETH back in six months. And then I believe that ETH will go up, though not significantly, in the next six months. <laughs> I was pretty specific with the parameters, um, and I also did not let on in the original tweet that like I actually don't have a thousand ETH and I'm not putting it anywhere, <laughs> which led to some, uh, yeah, it led to some very real responses. So I think probably one of my favorite responses is Tim, who runs Truffle. He gave me some real advice. He said. It sounds like you want some low risk, low reward. The simplest bet is a good old margin long. Head over to Instadap. Take your pick of Compound or Maker. Use Instadap to borrow 10% of the USD value of your stash and reinvest it. And then he elaborated a bit. He said this assumes that ETH will go up over the next six months. Your ROI scales with the risk profile and price expectations. $200, you'd get $5,000 or a 3% return. You'll almost never be liquidated with a 10% collateral. Um, And if your timing is off, you can just let it sit. And then the last sort of tweet in his little mini tweet thread was, of course, the more that you borrow against the collateral, the higher the risk. Ease of DeFi and the euphoria of seeing your sash grow immediately on paper allows for easy risk-taking. Be careful about how much you borrow and if you're comfortable taking those risks.
0: So how satisfied of were you from that answer? Because I would say that, that that's generally the go-to strategy that basically everyone has done when they go into DeFi. That's like the first thing that you could do in DeFi mm-hmm. was do a leverage long on Ether. Was so that a satisfactory answer or was that not what you were looking for? Because you said that you want at least 1,000 ETH back in six months, which sounds like you want a guarantee, a low risk or, or minimum risk guarantee. So is that is that leverage long position? Was is that that a satisfying a satisfying answer for you?
2: I think relative to the other answers I got, this was one of the best. So, you know, if I did have a thousand ETH or even if I had any amount of ETH that I was willing to like throw into a DeFi thing, this would probably be along the lines of what I would do. That said. Yeah, it's really, it's really one of the best answers simply because all the other answers were really, 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 like, upgrading the risks on multiple levels. Surprisingly enough, a lot of the answers were telling me to, to turn my ETH into DAI and collect my 6% DSR
0: rate. Which is outside of your parameters.
2: Yeah, I don't think anything – I mean, I don't think there's any answer inside my parameters. I said impossible parameters, but that's very outside because – I think as we then all you know, have no ETH. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and the thing is, actually, the day after I tweeted this, that was that pump day. So mm. ETH, ETH went up 15% in 24 hours, like the next day. If I had taken the advice of switching it in to die, mm-hmm. that would be upsetting
0: so, what I thought you were actually going to say with what would the best answer was uh, to me was the DeFi Zap answer. Mm-hmm. And so, for, for those that aren't familiar, DeFi say say you're one ETH, and then it puts two thirds of that ether into a two X long leverage position, and then it takes one third of that ether and puts it into the Dai Ether liquidity uh, pool, and so the Dai Ether liquidity pool has been a great source of revenue for people who are okay with being 50% exposed to ether and 50% exposed to the dollar, basically having a half ether, half cash position. But if you're really bullish on ether, you don't want that because you want you want 100% exposure to ether. So what DeFi Zap does is, is it lets you take your one ether and then it splits it into a, and t- takes two thirds of it into a uh, 2x lo- leverage long position and then it also allows you to, to have your Ether and put it in the Uniswap die to Ether pool. And so it, what happens is it actually balances out. The math like kind of corrects between, it balances between the leverage and, and the position of the liquidity uh, provider in Uniswap, but it also gets fees. And so short of proof of stake happening where you actually can get an algorithmic return on your ETH, to me, this was the best answer that I saw that also has no risk. Uh, safer contract risk, but that's a, a risk in a different category. So, so why didn't that answer kind of come and come to the forefront of your mind?
2: All right. So this is actually, I would say that this is the best option. So, in one sense, this is the best answer. However, I really like Tim's answer because he actually explained sort of what was going on and why it worked, and then also literally said the word risk. Which, I mean, I kind of speculated that perhaps people were not, or or perhaps people were very free to give me financial advice via Twitter with like no holds bar because they know me and they know that I'm I'm diligent or whatever. There was a, a very distinct lack of like even acknowledging that these things are risky. You know, there was a couple answers that were like, just hold it because smart contracts are insecure. And there were, of course, a couple answers that said, Put it all in Bitcoin. <laughs> but all in all, um, you know, a lot of the answers just like gave me info, but they didn't they didn't go that that deeper level to sort of explain what was actually happening. And again, that these positions do carry risk. So um, that's why I like Tim's. That said, the DeFi zap, the yeah, the LLP zaps where it splits it like this, they're freaking amazing.
0: Yeah, structurally, it's what you're looking for. But yeah, it's a brand new application. Not too much Lindy. Uh, Still could use a little bit of testing. I don't even know if it's been audited or not.
2: Yeah. So I have actually talked to Nodar from DeFi's app since then, and they're doing some pretty cool stuff. It's basically the contract. The DeFi's app contracts do not hold your money. So you basically send your money to the contract. It like does a whole bunch of fancy stuff to it, and then it puts it in the in the protocols themselves. Whether that's mm. like for the leverage positions, that's Fulcrum Uniswap. I think they have they have a whole bunch of integrations. So it does. I would say like the honeypot risk doesn't exist with DeFi Zap because there's not like a second layer of contracts holding a bunch of money. Uh, that said, the yeah something goes wrong, risk still exists, and um, I think. is it the quadrica lockup is a perfect example of this Mm. right like they Mm -hmm. were using a very simple very very simple safe split then they accidentally didn't include a zero x and they sent millions and millions of dollars that just are now sitting in a contract irrecoverable
0: thank you for your service
2: yeah exactly but yeah i think the risks are really real (laughs) and they're not talked about enough they're really really not i'm scared
1: So do you think that not talking about risk is something that is just endemic of all the crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum space in general? Or are you kind of pointing this towards the DeFi hype in space and the Ethereum ecosystem?
2: I think that we do tend to not talk about risk very much when we're talking to people that are sort of already in the space. So, you know, if we're talking to people outside the space and... telling them to like buy Bitcoin or buy ETH. I think that people are pretty diligent about, you know, letting people know that like, this is not in any way, shape, or form guaranteed to go up, et cetera. But then once you're in the space, I think there's like this pretense that we've all accepted this enormous risk just by holding crypto. And therefore we don't have to like, you know, add the fine print to every single thing that we say. However, you know, if you look at a lot of responses to, the, to, to this tweet and also just a lot of the conversation that's happening around DeFi in general, I don't think that people understand where the risks are with DeFi, even if they are people in this space, like even dedicated people in this space.
0: So this has been a constant theme on, on POV crypto and something that I, I see. We, we all have accepted the risk of crypto. Like everyone, when you say the words cryptocurrency to the outside world, people then think risk. Uh, and so like we're risk is just what we are used to. Like you make a typo in your SEND transaction and boom, it's gone. Uh, you, you just mess one thing up, it's gone. If you didn't verify the correct address, it's gone. Like all these things are, are very risky things that we've all learned how to manage, and that's how, that's how and why we're all here in this space. And so, it's it seems odd to me that the that DeFi specifically is being like attacked as like a, a <laughs> section of crypto that like well you guys don't advertise your risks, and to me it's like well like. You got here already. Like you are already doing all this risky stuff, anyways. Like, why is DeFi this any any different to to all the other risky stuff that you've done? And now we've added on just like more expressive and uh, code and, and complexity. But like, you, what, where did the whole idea of like be your own bank and do your own due diligence go? Like, I don't know why why we're forgetting about
2: that. Yeah, absolutely. I think one reason that DeFi is is a bit different is that. So like getting into crypto, like just having crypto, that's a risk. And then every time you do anything with your crypto, there's this, you know, the risk like the sending it away or getting fished or, you know, all of that stuff. And then if you are a trader, right? So if you're, you know, back in the day, it was always Poloniacs. <laughs> Put all, all your stuff on Poloniacs. Maybe you're lending it out on Poloniacs. Maybe you're shorting stuff. Maybe you're, you know, all of these different things, right? And as you do so you're sort of like bombarded. I don't know if this is still the case, but this was the case in like 2016, 2017. Bombarded by this like notion that like you don't, don't short anything ever. Shorting stuff is bad. You're going to get wrecked. And then of course the hype takes over and you short something and maybe it goes right once or twice or three times or whatever. And eventually you get wrecked and then you never short anything again. <laughs> um, and DeFi is like, like, I don't know, I guess all of those are like these incremental steps where I feel like the DeFi stuff that's happening right now, it's like all of this kind of deeper level derivative financial knowledge that people don't have. Not, I mean, some people do, but most people don't. You know, we're not talking about like just, just a regular, you know, trade. You're not talking about, you know, just longing something or shorting something. You're talking about some pretty sophisticated financial tools. Um, and then the other side of that is you also have this, The smart contract risk, the admin risk, whatever. And I think that that even though participating in any one DeFi platform feels like a single step, right? So it feels like a single step up between not holding crypto and holding crypto or holding crypto and trading it or trading it and shorting it. It's actually like maybe three or four steps up. And I think the best way that I've sort of visualized it is like, If you take a Venn diagram of all the people that have like sophisticated financial market knowledge about how these things work together, and you take a Venn diagram of people that really understand like the smart contract risk in crypto, and you overlap them, (laughs) there's like the tiniest little sliver that you'll ever see in the middle. Yet, you know, the people that are actually playing and putting real money in these probably are not in the middle. Like they're either, I don't know, they're flowing yeah, the into space or maybe they're in one of those buckets. Yeah. So that's what concerns me generally. Um, I think that's why it scares me the most.
0: So one comparison I'd like to make is, is like measuring risk back uh, using like a, the 08 financial crisis as something that, you know, there was risk there that we didn't account for and then we blew up. DeFi to me is like the, maybe the, one of the reasons why DeFi is being critiqued as a very risky thing with undisclosed risks is because we actually can see those risks. Like you said, that there's a very small group of people in this very specific sliver of a Venn diagram that actually can comprehend them. But at least in DeFi, at least it, it, they are comprehensible. Where mm-hmm. in the old world were black boxes that with privileged access to information that was not available to the public. If you want to, if you set out on a life mission to go and like do your best due diligence with understanding the risks of these systems, you actually have a path forward and a list of things you need to check off to go uh, to go do that. And everyone knows that this is true. And I think that's why people are harping on DeFi in general. They say, they say like, look how many checkboxes there are and none of you guys are checking them off. But at least we do know how many checkboxes there are
2: one of the most powerful things about about defi is the fact that there is a whole new level of transparency and a whole new level of of being able to actually verify what's going on the flip side of that though is you know just because we can know what's going on doesn't mean that we will and so if we again going back to like the 08 crisis own risk was the fact that they packaged up these freaking crazy synthetic derivative bubbers and then sold them to people that were super super hype um and who had already you know had a good experience with the same product right the same financial product um and there was no way for anyone to understand that like the quality of these packages was deteriorating day by day so in defi if we were to have the same thing right if we were to have like this the, the DeFi Legos where you package something up and you have the same crazy financial product, in theory, anyone can go look and examine it and they can, you know, detect whether the underlying quote unquote asset is, you know, uh, deteriorating or if someone's lying or whatever it may be. Um, that does not mean that people will actually do this. And, um, I don't know why I'm on a Quadrica fix today, but when Quadrica locked up their funds in 2016 or 2017, 2017, when they, lo- when they had their funds locked up, nobody noticed for three days. No. They were just sending all no. user deposits into this smart contract for three days. The first person to notice was a random person on Reddit who uh, posted, and then I think it was Baki who has been around since the Dow, does crazy analytics. He's amazing. Baki is the one who actually went in and pulled the whole thing to try to figure out what was going on. You know, and this is by the way, this is Quadrica, the number one exchange in Canada in the summer of twenty seventeen during, you know, a pretty hype market. So if we don't if we don't know that all the user deposits for the biggest exchange in Canada are being locked up for freaking seventy two hours, really are we can't analyze the deep seated risk underlying the the Lego stack of DeFi products. I hope so. I'm not putting my money there. Yeah,
0: I think it's just a series of just making mm-hmm. mistakes, and we we have to we have to make these mistakes to actually learn where are the problems actually uh, actually lie. I mean, way back when, I mean, Solomani was on our podcast, and we were talking generally about the same the same concept, and he gave this analogy. Yeah, the smart contract risk, it's going to act like the steam engine; it's going to blow up a bunch of times, and then it's just going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think as we layer on applications that have proven to have zero risk. So I will, I will make the claim that Uniswap has basically zero risk. It, and when it comes to smart contract risk, it's as, as low as it can get. And as soon as we can layer on applications on Uniswap that also have that level of, of smart contract certainty, then we can actually start to generate this ecosystem that you, we can forget about this. But it happens incrementally. And so it's not just money Legos as in like, let's how much can we pile on? On good kernels of very secure code, can we can we very carefully and meaningfully layer on one bit by bit?
2: Yeah, exactly. And that is like I kind of go like back and forth. I live in like both worlds where I'm I'm very excited about what DeFi is doing, and I'm very excited about the innovation that's happening. But I'm also like I don't know, traumatized beyond belief by both individual like retail users doing like really sometimes like it seems like deliberately trying to shoot themselves in the foot, (laughs) you know, and then also like sometimes like the teams that are building these things, they just don't have, I guess like a level of paranoia or they don't have a good grasp of the attack factors or, or, you know, what they should be looking out for, et cetera. And so I'm always like, you know, sitting over here and going like, wait, is anyone looking at this? (laughs) Just, does anyone, is anyone holding these people accountable? Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, I will say for the Bitcoin people listening, you can hate on smart contracts and you can put smart contract risks at the very top of the risk pile. But realistically, like custodial risk is right up there. They're different.
0: Um, with a huge track record.
2: It, with a huge track record. You know, so I think that's going back to my tweet, right? One of the interesting things was just the sheer number of people that were recommending BlockFi, or Crypto.com, which are both centralized custodians uh, who, who offer interest rates for user deposit accounts. So uh, yeah, I would put like smart contract risk and custodial risk like neck and neck right now. I have faith that smart contract risk will decrease over time than I do with custodial risk because like seriously, it's been like a decade. Like we should have figured out how to reduce the amount being hacked by now.
1: Is the amount still high? I think- like, in terms of total hacks last year, was the highest for sure.
2: Yeah, and I'm trying to think. Last year's numbers got thrown off because they threw the plus token Ponzi scheme into the big numbers, which was like, I think that had like a couple billion in it itself. But regardless, yeah, we're still seeing hacks. We're still seeing large hacks. Like, Binance just like, yeah, got hacked for like 40 million, just like, shrug their shoulders at it but that says more about the amount of money that finance made in 2017 than it says about anyone's secure
1: there's a couple of things that you guys are saying that i don't necessarily agree with and i mean i think part of your thread did distinguish that like on-chain and smart contract risk is different than cold storage and like safely custodying your assets i don't think that like being in crypto just means that you're signing up for you know open Open-ended risk, like David kind of makes out, I think that there is very much different levels of risk that you can apply. and there's a different risk of like Bitcoin going to zero versus my Bitcoin being compromised, right? Those are like different kinds of things. But also on top of that, like I, I do think like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to defend custodians, but like don't act like you know there's no ways for custodians to innovate as well. Like multi-sig is a thing. And uh, custodians utilizing multi-sig can be a game changer. Also, we just have a, a fresh onslaught of, of crypto people piling into the Coinbase that have never experienced a real hack. Um, so maybe some of these people experiencing another hack will change their behavior. Like there's still a lot of fresh newbies that, you know, they just haven't, they haven't had any negative experiences and or understood, you know, the value of custodying your assets.
2: Yeah, so that's what, when we talk about, like, the, I guess, like, the overall risks of crypto, they're, the most fundamental risk is that, uh, like, everything that we're doing is fundamentally flawed and Bitcoin goes to zero, um, and and this was, like, when I first got into space, this is, like, a real thing, like, Bitcoin going to zero was a, was a probability that... Yeah, where today people
0: always like said it, that mm-hmm. it
2: was it was really like real. Where today yeah. I really don't think like it going to zero is. I it,
0: no one thinks that anymore. Yeah, that's the Lindy effect. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean it could it could go it could, it could drop right. Like people that got in at the top, you know, like December 2017, January 2018, they're hurting mm-hmm. right now. But you know, just hold on. Mm-hmm. What are you guys doing? <laughs> um so yeah so yeah and then if if you're holding right and and it's in cold storage and secured you actually yeah you don't have that much risk then you have the risk of uh doing something wrong right so you're sending your stuff around you're trading um something that you do because you don't understand what you're doing or you make a mistake or any number of things and then you have the custodial risk and the the what I call like the external risk right so you decide to do something whether that's hold your stuff in an exchange or uh lend on compound or whatever it may be and you think it's safe and it ends up not being safe and it it results in loss um and these are three like very distinct sort of as groups of risks that that we encounter um yeah i keep my stuff in cold like that's how i sleep
0: at night talk about some of the most egregious pieces of advice that you got in that thread what are the worst things that people offered you as a solution?
2: Buy Bitcoin. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. I'm, do not tweet me, guys. I'm kidding. That's always good advice. <laughs> um, <laughs> not if
0: the goal is to have it, ETH.
2: Guys, there are a lot of recommendations by people that like, like I follow. Right, like, There are people that are in the space and have been in the space that were telling me, like, put it on crypto.com, put it on BlockFi, any of the other centralized ones. And then the other ones were anyone that told me to to put it into to DAI I think is fundamentally flawed. And that, that's the one that actually like um, gave me pause because that indicates that the person who's giving this advice doesn't really – like they see like a 6% interest rate on DAI and a, mm-hmm. and a whatever 0.1% interest rate for ETH. Mm-hmm. And they're like – Oh, I'll just trade my ETH for DAI and lend it out. And never once right. do they think about, like, um, that that's really only a good position if ETH goes down. Right. If you're even, yeah. like, a shrug on whether ETH is going to go up and down, like, you're better off just holding ETH because, uh, like I said, like, it goes up more than 6% in a day.
0: Mm-hmm. Often. Right. Right. And that was in your parameters where you said you are mildly bullish on ETH in the next six months. So being exposed to dice is not what you would have wanted. Right. Exactly. My, my, The way I, I would have given it advi- advice, I would have said that, um, again, not exactly what, what you're looking for. Short of not having proof of stake, we really don't really have any good solutions here. Mm-hmm. But the MKR ETH trading pair at Uniswap, uh, uh, that would be a decent option because then you get fees Uh, And MKR and ETH generally track with each other pretty, pretty well. And so when Ether goes up, MKR goes up and vice versa. Um, And it's one of the highest volume uh, exchanges on Uniswap. And so I think that that would have been my, my, my answer. And then, yeah, the Uniswap contract is generally considered rock solid just due to how simple it is.
2: Some of the, some of the things like I just didn't even, they entered my brain and then immediately left apparently because people (laughs) told me to buy all sorts of shit tokens like really bad ones lots of little the little what are they called like the hashtag but it's the money sign instead
0: mm-hmm. people pumping their bags. cash tags mm-hmm. those Nexus guys a uh,
2: lot there's there's more than one person telling me to just buy bsv which nice okay nice
0: <laughs> so you say you're Integrate some DeFi applications into my crypto, and so going forward with this safety first um, uh, mentality, where what can what options are we going to be able to see in the in the back end of my my crypto as a DeFi option? Right.
2: So we're actually I'm just going to integrate DeFi's app because it's so freaking easy, and he's <laughs> making amazing, amazing. Uh, like he's doing the hard work on figuring out the different positions and like the different hedging and he actually has a financial background. So he actually understands why the like 60, 34, 34 whatever percentages work um, mm. and and they're building really fast. So we're going to do that. And then the biggest thing that we're doing, though, is that we're not just like. Uh, like throwing all of our users and being like, you'll be rich. Click this button. Get the ones that are like, if you're a bit more bearish on ETH, if you're a bit more bullish on ETH, and if you're like shrug, flip a coin. I don't even know. And then the first, once you click the call to action, one of the first things is like a full page, not a full page, but it's a full view dedicated to education. And it has like some info about what's going on, Um, some, like, questions to, like, ask yourself, right? Like, this might be good for you if you are bullish on ETH. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it has, like, a breakdown where it's just, like, risks and rewards. So, like, these are, yeah, these are all the things that could go wrong. These are the things that, you know, if everything goes according to plan, this is what you could see. But, you know, if things don't go according to plan, right? Like, if you're betting on ETH going up and ETH goes down, and so that... That sort of take, I think, hopefully, will will get a good balance for our users and not throw them in. And then I've been looking really a lot at DeFi Score and what they've been doing. I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but it's Mm -hmm. they're getting somewhere. They're like they're doing it, and so obviously, potentially integrating that in some way, shape, or form, or at least referencing it, so that people can really get. Just have a general awareness that there is risk, and then incrementally, like, absorb more and more knowledge because the amount of information that you would need to make a truly informed decision is so much that we can only hope that, you know, people try a little bit, learn a little bit, and then, you know, over time learn more and more and more. And then an educated position hopefully before that position is, like, all of their Mm -hmm. money, like we saw Mm -hmm. with the ICOs. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. Fingers crossed.
1: I guess kind of trying to focus in on like trying to make it safe to do this kind of stuff like why do you feel like you need to do this instead of just recommending cold storage like what you do like why do you think it's necessary to go this direction with my crypto
2: i mean you'll still be able to use my crypto for cold storage no doubt but one of the things is that like we're we're a company like i have a team i got to pay them they assume that they're going to have jobs <laughs> For the foreseeable future, so just having a product that um, exists and doesn't do anything ever—it just—it just exists in the same form that it always has—is not helping push this space forward. And especially with all the new wallets that are coming out right now, who are like six months to a year old, they really have no understanding of what it's like to be in a be in a bull run and and be in a situation where users are doing everything, all the things at once and everything's on fire. And so I want to provide new things that empower people to interact with crypto, but do so in a somewhat relatively responsible way, hopefully. I'm I'm still working through this.
1: (laughs) I wanna bring this back to David, David attesting that Uniswap has close to zero risk. Do you agree with that statement? I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, on the level of very skeptical to very secure, like, how do you feel about Uniswap?
2: The reason that Uniswap is seen as so secure is that, one, it's pretty simple. Two, it's actually decentralized. And three, it's like been around for a while and it's held a lot of money for a while. And so all of these things combined, along with like smart people looking at it, Uh, like looking at the contract code a lot those all of those things just reduce the risk across the board uh do i think it's next to zero risk no again we're in crypto so you can't ever get to zero so relatively speaking you know it's about as close to zero as we could get i think the only thing that we could probably do that would get it closer to zero would be like it survives that like okay so if eth goes to 2000 tomorrow and uniswap doesn't get hacked in the next bring it significantly closer to zero just because the honeypot would be so large
0: yeah the, the uniswap exchange contract is like a, a brutally simple code it's like one equation it's like k equals y times x and then it just manages the erc20 token and the ether supply by by that equation and so it's it's not at all like and and like taylor said there's no back door there's no oracles there's no nothing it's just a a balance of two of two funds which is like exactly what ethereum is like super good at Mm
2: -hmm. yeah and specifically with uniswap there's also so there's like two different uniswaps i guess there's like the trading engine whatever Mm -hmm. that mechanism and then there's the the uniswap pools or the unipools Mm -hmm. which are you put your money in and then you it just sits there and then uh, that provides liquidity to the traders, and you get earn fees based on the fees mm-hmm. taken by the traders. But again, both of these are, I would say, pretty robust at this point. Yeah. Like out of nowhere, do you know what I mean? Like Uniswap mm-hmm. literally came out of nowhere. We had what three, four, five, five ICOs dedicated to doing like promising what Uniswap did, raising mm-hmm. collectively probably $200, 300 million dollars, four hundred million dollars.
0: Yeah, whatever. Whatever Bancor did.
2: And then Hayden just, like, pops up is like, hey, guys.
0: Hey, guys. I'm, I'm three degrees of separation away from Vitalik, and he helped me write this.
2: Yeah, I got a grant, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Also, no ICO, no token.
2: <laughs> like, you know, it's just, it really does prove that, like, there is value that's come out of the ICO madness, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. end up shining, you know, because they end up being the right. simplest solution, where when you raise $100 million, you better... Tack on those features left, right, and right. center, and figure out your token economics. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, this is why I don't like on-chain funding. I, I think that it's a uh, it's a red herring. Um, I think if something is like worth its salt, like people invest in it. So I don't know, and I, I think that this this is kind of like what you guys are talking about is like a fractal of of that reality.
2: It's not on chain, though, right? It doesn't or we saw the any same sort of thing.
1: committed funding. You know, like not having funding is actually can have positives?
2: Yeah. So one, bootstrapping is valuable. Like we bootstrapped, let's see, first three years, my, all of my Ether wallet for the first three years and then the original my crypto was all by my lovely WordPress clients who I built amazing marketing websites for. You know, it's, yeah, and it forces you to be creative. It forces you to like prioritize correctly and it forces you to stay really, really, lean like in terms of the money that you spend but also lean in terms of like what you're building we never like were able to be like we're just going to sit here and plan stuff for the next year you know it's like no just ship it but the other flip side of that is when you put normal retail people in a very hyped up space and invite them to give money to someone in return for more money or a product or anything you're going to end up with what we saw in 2017 uh, and the perfect example is also, like, Kickstarter in, like, 2010. Like, I don't know, I often say, like, I know enough to be scared, but not enough to do much about it. So I just, like, run around like a nervous Nelly a lot. <laughs> but, you know, finding the – like, being scared doesn't mean that you have to, like, sit in the corner and hide and, and be a nervous Nelly. Like, you can you can still build stuff. You can still innovate. You can still move fast. But you should just always do so with sort of like this underlying fear, this underlying um, anxiety, this underlying paranoia, so that you're always checking, like, where can things go wrong? How do we make sure things don't go wrong? How do we reduce, like, if something goes wrong? How do we reduce the the fallout from that? It helps everyone. Like, if you just have that mentality, it helps everyone. And again, you can do so without like completely stifling innovation. I promise you.
0: Anything specific that they should be scared of?
2: everything. <laughs> no, I mean, in this space, the attack vectors are so wide ranging, right? So you have like the smart contract risk. you have code just going badly. You have uh, internal employees, you have external hackers, you have,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, um, yeah, custodians uh, mistyping an address, like, you know, just the whole range of things. Um, and that's why it's just, it's just that general sort of like, of like, what could go wrong in this situation, right? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, And that's why, you know, like I'll push some CSS and I'm like, all right, cool. You know, but I don't go and like try to adjust something in the derivation cryptography library that underlies all of my crypto that people are relying on. (laughs) Because what could go wrong? Like, oh, I could just screw everyone, you know? So just having that fear with everything that you do, um, it, it just forces you to acknowledge what can go wrong. And therefore, you'll take steps to mitigate that across the board.
0: Absolutely, Taylor. Thanks for coming on at POV Crypto and just hashing out this whole <laughs> range of complexity with uh, with DeFi and smart contracts. If people want to find out more about my crypto or listen to you and follow or follow you, where should they go?
2: Oh, definitely check out beta.mycrypto.com. That is our new, improved, fancy dashboard, amazing multi-account setup. And then, if you want on, on Twitter at mycrypto. Or, yeah, just add my crypto. I have a personal one. You can find me there, but it's hard to say out loud. So really, those are, yeah, check out our product. And then I'm on Twitter all the time. So give us your feedback.
1: All right. You guys know where to find me at CK underscore Snarks on Twitter. You can find the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. Dave.
0: You can find me at Trustless State both on Twitter and on Medium and at Bitcoin 2020 in March and at Ethereal New York in May with Realty. If you guys want to meet the team behind Realty because you guys have only heard about me, we will all be there. So be a good time.
1: Thanks, Taylor.
2: Awesome. Thanks for
1: so events. Peace.